Happy Friday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. I got a loaded show for you guys coming up today. I'm going to discuss Patty Pimblett's recent comments about Conor McGregor, the UFC's youngest signing ever, the evolution of the attitude and persona of Paulo Costa and more. But before we get to that, some interesting information came out on social media this week and I want to talk with you about it. Kevin Holland. All right, guys, let's have a talk. Let's start with what happened. He's retired from the sport. How do we know that? He put it in writing. He tweeted it out. How do we know he wasn't joking? He sent another tweet out. It's called doubling down. It's called co-signing. It's called he said it twice. All right, now, what is the psychology here? Fighting is a drug. Absolutely. Fame is a drug. Not the fight, as a matter of fact. The fame, that attention, you will seek it, you will crave it. You will do whatever you can to replace it. That's just true. And Kevin Holland had a ton of media attention. And then even serendipitously and negatively, he had more. Right? Remember the post-fight or the pre-fight press conference that ends up getting canceled? Kevin has words with Darren Till. I know that slipped on the internet and I saw that. Kevin apparently was kicked by Chemayev, which I do find interesting because Chemayev was so far overweight. You'd think that he would be hurting. I mean, I've been in that, that situation. The last thing you want to do is get into that, but really neither here nor there. He ends up with a much bigger fight on the card. He ends up in a co-main event feature. Here we are. Now, that all gets taken away. And post-fight depression is very real, including when you win. Including when you win. I'll just give you a great example from that same night. Nate Diaz has been busier on social media since that fight than he was leading in to that fight. And Nate Diaz gets paid on pay-per-view points. He's greatly incentivized and motivated to come and talk about that action, but he didn't do a lot of it. It was small. He, he quite literally, since the fight, has put out more messages... Then he did going into it. All right. But that just comes back when I'm talking about, right? I mean, even when it's the winner, the, the, the depression is real. What do we know about life, guys? It's very simple, right? What goes up must come down. And you're pretty up there. When you're in front of the world, in front of all of you guys, and your social media is lighting up, and you're backed up with calls from reporters that want to do photo shoots or interviews or call-ins or sit-downs, right? I mean, it's one of these things. you got all this. All your friends are checking in on you. Even mom and dad, even wife's treating you different. You got this match coming up, feeding you different, talking to you different, letting you get a little extra sleep, keep, keeping things down in the morning, whatever it might be. But there's a lot of things in everybody's life. And when that goes away, even if you're the winner, there is a depression. It's true. Now, I knew this and I recognized it. I just thought it was only me. I never talked about it. Brian Stan is the one that came out and told me, oh, of course you get depressed after a fight. Everybody does. Like, oh, really? Like, I thought depression was a word you, you don't admit to, you don't talk about it. Like, that's something private. That's some dark oh, I deal with depression. I, that's what I thought. And Brian Stan, one of the most macho men I've ever met, told me, no, post-fight depression, everybody goes through it. How's yours? Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's talk. But as much as and true as it is for the winner, okay, exemplify that for the loser because there's other things that come with it. For the winner, you're excited. You can't wait to get that time back because the high is going to be even bigger. 
your ranking goes up, your placement on the card goes up, your money goes up, the attention that that should bring you goes up, the crowd gets louder. So you're excited. Let's get these three months of downtime the hell out of the way, get a new bout agreement signed so I can get back to this. Okay. The loser, everything's in reverse. You didn't make the same money, even that night. You were paid to, to, to show up, but you are also paid to win. You didn't become eligible for one of the beautiful bonuses that you hoped for. Your sponsor pay, the way it works in the organization, does not go up. Your ranking, of course, doesn't go up. And all of those phone calls that were calling in to want to interview you, phone's pretty quiet. Wife's not making you the special dinner anymore. She's not keeping it down in the morning, letting you get an extra 30 minutes. I mean, it's one of these things. So what do you do? I had a friend. Keep his name out of it. He actually watches this program. But I never met a liar like this in my life, and this was my friend. I would be at things, and he would then tell me other things happened. He was second in a tournament, and that night we went and had a party for his victory. I cornered him. And he told me at the pizza party over the root beer and the pepperoni slices that he won. I never met a, nobody's ever lied like this. But it was always something great, right? It was always something wonderful. He ran out of wonderful things to say. All of a sudden, he tells me that he was, uh, you know, the reason he hasn't talked to me in a while is he was in rehab for heroin addiction. Now, that's very serious stuff. It just wasn't true. This guy never touched heroin. This guy never went to rehab. He ran out of positive things to lie about. He could not stop lying. He's just a liar. So he just went in a negative direction. Really? I'm not joking about this. And you can apply that in some ways to what Kevin's... Kevin is not retired. I have to tell you the problems. And I would have let this go. I'd have checked in on Kevin privately. Kevin, what's going on? You talk? Want to get out of town for a little bit? Been something like this. He has other support, right? He, he doesn't need me. But I would have shown him that support. And I would have been there for him. And I got a room for him if he wants to get the hell out of town. I mean, all of it would have been real. I'm just sharing with you. You will get pulled out of the USADA pool. USADA has the legal right to pull him out of the pool. As a matter of fact, to push this a little bit further, if USADA showed up at Kevin's house today and he turned him away, he refused the test, that right there will get you a full suspension. There is nothing USADA will come down harder on you for with a faster hand of justice than refusing or running or hiding from a test. There is nothing. He could do that today and they would not be able to sanction him. Just so you understand. He could refuse the test and when that gets before the commission, he'll simply bring up a time and date stamp on the tweet, said I retired. That's legal. That would work. Now, USADA doesn't act like this, right? USADA is extremely reasonable. I mean, if there's anything I've got to give those guys credit for, they're good at what they do, but they are reasonable when you come and deal with them. He's not out of the pool. He's not going to be retired. Dana doesn't have to go through some kind of a panic. The matchmakers don't have to get new paperwork. Kirk Hendrick and Lawrence are getting called right now for legal advice. I'm just sharing with you, they could. And this got tested. When I tell you how easy, we're having a document classification right now. 
And our former president is saying, I can declassify those documents even in my mind. Well, the Supreme Court ruled on that. And I, and I only bring that to you because it's a recent example. And that can be done. Conor McGregor went on UFC Tonight. I used to host that show with Kenny Florian. Great fun over there. He retired. Now, a lot of guys were doing it then. This is before Conor was like the creative genius he is now. This was back when he was more of like a copycat genius. He would steal other people's ideas, but then he would perform it better than they would, make it his own. Did that with the Billy Strutt, right? And then admitted to it. So I stole that from Vince McMahon. But Connor got all the credit. Connor came out and retired. A lot of guys were doing Jose Aldo was to Anderson Silva. Every time you talk to him, he's going to retire. I mean, that was like a thing. But Connor came out and retired. Dana called in. Called in and came over the top and said, no, he's not. He does not mean that. And the reason I'm here to correct it is that could pull him from the USADA pool, which re-putting him in the pool comes with a whole nother set of problems. Now, this isn't what's happening to Kevin. I'm just sharing with you guys that while this is a ploy for attention, and while this is funny, you guys used to do this when you were children too. Oh, I'm not very good at this. Or you, you color something in class and your classmates want to see you go, it's not very good when you know it's awesome. But all you wanted, you wanted them to tell you what a great job you did. So you say, oh, no, it's not very good. And they go, oh my God, it's the best one in the room. Hey, we've, all, we've all done it. But Kevin's doing it now. This is for you guys to reach out to him and tell him, no, hey, we still want you. Everything's still good. We got fights for you. We got ideas for you. You were just a co-main event. You stepped in on short notice, different weight class, different opponent. We don't hold this against you. And in all fairness, Kevin Holland got caught in one position and Kevin Holland only has one weakness. It's not submissions. That was just, right, how do you get out of that submission? Don't get put in it. There are coaches that will tell you that. There's a move in wrestling called the head and arm. How do you stop a head and arm? It's what you will learn on your first day of wrestling. If you don't know how to wrestle and you and a kid go grab each other, you'll try a head and arm on him and he'll try one on you. However, if you hit it in the Olympic finals, you're going to get a pin and be Olympic champion. It's just, it's one of these moves that you can't get out. How do I stop a head and arm? Don't get thrown in it. How do I stop a Dars or an Anaconda? Don't get put in it. And I only share that with you because Kevin Holland's performance was not bad. As a matter of fact, Kevin Holland's one and only weakness is that he does not resist when people come to take him down. He doesn't resist. He cooperates. He was a son of a gun to take down in that fight. He went down. He came back up to his feet. He hit a roll. He was scrambling again. Now Chemayev stayed right with him. That was a good, solid part of the match that also showed us Kevin Holland's better. Kevin Holland has gotten better. He's made adjustments. I mean, in all fairness, there was a real positive done in that match, even if you're only looking at 25 seconds of action. Kevin did not go get his ass kicked. He didn't get thrown down. He didn't get handled. He didn't get tired. He didn't give up. He didn't do any of these things. He got caught in one position. So that's the good news, but Kevin would like you guys to go in there and tell him that. That's what this ploy is. You got to go along with it. I'm, I'm covering for him. You think I'm teasing him over here? Good relationship with Kevin Holland. I'm covering him. I don't want him pulled out of the pool. Sada literally has that right. I told you the story of Conor McGregor with Dana coming over the back. Let me just tell you one more. Nick Diaz went to Twitter and retired. USADA came to test him. Nick wasn't there. Now, if you miss three, okay, if I see you face-to-face -face and I run, if I see you face-to-face -face and I hide, I'm done. They will throw the book at you like you've never seen. But if I, if I don't see you, if you come to the door and I duck that we don't see each other, then it's called a whereabouts violation. You get three of those in a year. Three violations in one year, and you will be suspended. It's considered a fail. 
and a number of people have gone through it. Harry Lester in the world of wrestling just got off of one. Nick Diaz had three violations. They came down on him. Nick said, I, I didn't fill out my whereabouts and I wasn't where about you thought I was because I don't owe you that info. I don't owe you that info because I'm not part of your pool. I'm not part of your pool because I retired. As a matter of fact, it's right here. Nick won. Nick won. So this isn't a joke. It's very real. And these are off the top of my head. But I'm sharing with you when you think Usada's going to come down on. Why would they ever do that? Well, there's good reason to. They put their time and money and resources. It got tested all the way to trial. And they lost because the guy said that he was retired. Just sharing with you the whole story. That's the psychology. Fame is a drug. Kevin Holland will be back. So Kevin Holland used to fight at 185, as you guys remember. And speaking of 185, Paulo Costa is becoming a massive star in that division. And honestly, I can't believe how quickly we've gotten to this point. My experience with him is very relevant to me. Okay, I got to do my two best experiences ever in this sport. We're coaching the ultimate fighter and not even close seconds. I love every one of those guys. All of them. I did this once in Brazil. They don't even, we can't even speak the same language. We haven't been able to text. We haven't been able to stay in touch. If they needed a kidney right now, I would get up and walk out of this room and lay down on a gurney. When I tell you I love that, it's not a word that I just throw around. There is a bond that is formed. I've never personally been through anything like this. 33 days, no matter what, you are to get, you are each other's support. They are then bored out of their mind. They're bored. They're in the house. They're stressed out of their mind. They're cutting weight. Some guys are going to fight three and four times. They've got to make weight. Now they're surrounded by guys whose goals and dreams were just dashed. They don't have to, but they want to be up and partying and playing around. And you're trying to juxtapose these two. You're having dinner. You're having breakfast in the same house with a gentleman you're going to fight later or that you just fought yesterday. It is a tough situation. I did the Ultimate Fighter. Halloween had come up. Now, you wouldn't think of Halloween quite as a holiday, but if you have children, it's a very big day, for sure. We, Thanksgiving, which you would think of as a holiday. We were together. They can't even call their families. So if we want to have a, a kind of a traditional meal, we're going to have to prepare. We're in the kitchen. We're cooking together. We're working together. Some guys are going to like each other, but everybody know I must support this person because he's the only one here to support me. I'm not going to see anybody else. I'm telling you, as a social experience, I've never seen anything like it. I've certainly never been part of anything like it. So when I tell you that we're close, it's really true. Paulo Costa was not on my team, but he still falls into the same category. I wanted the absolute best, right? When we come down to competition, I want my guys to win. You, you would understand that. But I want the best for those guys. I want them all to get picked up. I want them all to be signed. I want them to all go home, watch this on video, and be proud. Have their mom and dad and their family around patting them on the back when they come up on TV, whether it went their way or not. So Paulo Costa matters to me. And he matters to me in maybe a different level. When I saw Paulo Costa the first time, he walked onto the set of The Ultimate Fighter. I'm sitting across from Vandalay Silva. 
All Vandalay and I get, we can't go meet these guys. We can't see them ahead of time. That was important to the producers and the integrity of the show. They wanted Vandalay and I, who are ultimately going to pick teams, to not have any inside information. That Vandalay has absolutely no knowledge that I don't have. So they keep us all apart. When the guys come walking through the door, the showrunner sets his sheet down in front of Vandalay and I. It will say the guy's name. It's his resume. It's a one sheet. And everybody had, I mean, they got these records and trained by this guy and workout partners with Junior Dos Santos and a boxing record. I mean, it's, it's this long sheet. For Paulo Costa, it said former powerlifter. It was all that it said. When Paulo Costa got in the ring and he looks like he's carved out of stone, I mean, the guy, just a, just a beautiful build. Bill, let me ask you a tough game. Your life depends on it. A guy must go into a bar and get a phone number. He must. Your life depends on it. Do you send in Vinny Magliesh? Do you send in Luke Rockholt? Do you send in Brendan Schaub? Or do you send in Paulo Costa? <laughs> right? I would really like to know your answers. That guy has to go in, and he has to get a phone number. And you get a pick. But those are your guys, right? I mean, Paulo Costa has a swagger. We can admit that. That doesn't shame us. When Paulo Costa came out, get in the ring, looks like he's carved out of stone, goes there and fights, didn't know what he's doing. He had no plan or strategy whether I'm going to be on the ground or I'm going to knock this guy out. He had tons of muscle. His conditioning wasn't quite caught up with it yet. He held up, but his conditioning wasn't quite caught up with it yet. He, he fatigued. He didn't know what he's doing. He was a former powerlifter. Like, that one sheet I got was not meant to be fun. That's all that they had on them. So we go through the process of the show. Vandalay's team would work out first. My team would come in second. We have to wait till that gym clears, till we could go in. We would wait in the back. We couldn't go in. Even though Vandalay's team was done and everybody was gone, there was somebody in there still working out. Well, it was Paul Acosta every time, every day. He loved it. He was so interested. He got beat. His dreams weren't there. He made the best of the opportunity. And several guys did and deserve that same compliment. I'm just giving it to Paulo. He's one that's right in the spotlight now. Several guys use this for what it truly is. The Ultimate Fighter is, is not a, a, a talent selection. There is a competition that goes on. That's true. But what we're filming and what we're documenting is the ultimate training camp. We just brought a whole bunch of guys with the same dream to the same training camp. You are in the best facility with the absolute best coaches, with the absolute best partners, and you have the absolute best equipment. It is the ultimate training camp. I've had wonderful training camps. I've never had training as good as I had on the Ultimate Fighter. I'm just sharing for you. That's really what it is. And he saw it that way. He saw this as a bump in the road, as a stepping stone. Something I'm going to do to get to where I want to go. And he knew in his own mind, I'm a former powerlifter. He knew that about himself. He knew I got to learn the wrestling. I got to learn the submissions. I got to get this conditioning under control. I got to learn the punches and the kicks. He knew that. Paulo Costa, powerlifter. He had blonde hair on the Ultimate Fighter. That's all I know about him. That's all he did. It was interesting. In that he took this serious. In that he was curious. 
in that he would walk away from Bandley's teams at time and come over and talk to my team. He would ask Clayton Hires. He would ask Scott McQuarrie questions. He just he just wanted to gather information. So then all of a sudden, I don't see this guy for years. He pops into the UFC. Some bitch was like 12 and 0. Might have been 11 0. He runs that up to 15 and 0, and he's standing opposite the world champion. It was very, very impressive how he did this. I still don't have anything else I can tell you. I just, he just, I can't. Every now and then he would show up to a fight and he would wear a weird shirt. A colorful shirt. Remember The Rock did this gimmick. Rock's coming out on WWE and he's wearing the Versace shirt. Okay. Uh, that's simple. It's low-hanging fruit. Get a guy to put something on. That's his, but this is all he had. There wasn't a lot there. I visited with him. Ran into him in an airport. Had a real nice catch-up conversation with him. He's humble. He's quiet. I might put him in the category of shy. Now, all of a sudden, he's one of the great entertainers in the sport. How did we get here? I mean, how did we get here? What, what switch was flipped? Is this who he was the whole time? He just didn't know if it was appropriate to bring it out? He wasn't funny guy on The Ultimate Fighter. He wasn't funny guy at the gym. He wasn't funny guy when I ran into him over the years. He wasn't funny guy when I caught up with him at the airport. He now has social media that is must follow. Not, not even a maybe. Number one, he's passed up Derek Lewis for must follow fighter on social media. But somebody else could be running that. Probably is. Somebody else probably got his codes and is putting some funny stuff. He goes on to Ariel's show yesterday. He's wearing no shirt. As simple as that might sound, it's wildly inappropriate for the setting of Ariel's extremely professional show. I mean, Ariel's got a $100,000 set. Ariel Awani himself, is a, he's a million-dollar guy. You can get on Ariel's show. You can, st you can start getting fights. Any promoter found out that you had access to Ariel whenever you want, boom, they'll sign it right there. Just for the exposure, he shows up in a shirt. They have to put a microphone on him, guys. They taped the microphone to his chest because there was nothing to hook it to. He cut with a microphone here, and it's got tape on it. That, visually, is funny. And then he cuts a promo. He's very out of his shell. He's smiling. He's happy. He's playful. He's mastered English. We can do these types of things. And he cuts a promo on Shemayev. There is not even a close second for who I want to see Paulo Costa fight next or Chimaev. Not even a close second. You can give me names and I do want to see him. You can throw other names at me. I do want to see him. I would tune in. I'd cover it over here. But it is a drop off a cliff in comparison to that matchup. I don't predict for you that we're going to see it. I'm sharing a point that Paulo Costa has come out. He's talking to you guys. He realizes what you want. When he came into this sport, he came real quiet and real stoic. He's going to be a hard ass. They even named him the Terminator for good reasons, but he's going to be a hard ass. He's not going to say much. It was hard to be that guy. It was hard to be the hard ass, even though you're destroying people and even though you got the nickname, the Terminator. I mean, he called himself the Eraser. The fans came in and renamed him the Terminator. It's hard to do that when you're that handsome. It really is. It's hard to be the badass in the room when you're this beautiful man. It really is. This character, this gimmick, this portrayal that he's doing now, funny, smiling, while still willing to seek and destroy, this is where he needs to be. I don't know what took him so long, but it's here.
I don't know if he's actually the shy guy and this is a performance. I don't know. One of them was performing. Is it the one that was on Arrow yesterday or the, was it one that was shy for many years and didn't speak up? Maybe didn't think he had the right. Maybe didn't know he had anything interesting to say. Maybe somebody grabbed him and worked with him. I don't know how we got here. But now that we are, can we all admit, Paulo Costa makes things fun. All right, guys, I want to spend the next few minutes talking about 155 pounds and some of the biggest names in the sport who have been going back and forth with each other. Patty Pimlet versus Conor McGregor. Biggest pay-per-view in the history of the UFC, end quote. Patty Pimlet said these words. Now, there's a lot happening there, and it's not as obvious as you think. Patty Pimlet versus Conor McGregor simply is not going to happen. And it's not going to happen for a number of reasons. And, and Patty is not wrong to think his ability to bring attention in conjunction with Conor's ability to bring attention equals success. That fight's a miss for a couple of reasons, largely just the age. Now, I'm not against Patty saying it, not at all. I'm very pro Patty. There was a time over here, guys, I wasn't going to say his word. I wasn't going to say his name again. I was done with Patty. As a young guy, he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand what we're doing here. He's out of the club. Chael's rules. Well, I got to take those back. Patty has completely changed my mind with his last fight. Now, not only was the performance eligible for a guy who could be a future world champion, not only that, his interview. I mean, in all fairness, knowing what Patty was dealing with going into that contest, Patty was professional. This is one thing I didn't think he was. See, I thought this is a kid. This guy didn't know what he's doing. He's got a, he's got a big mouth and a couple of skills. And if you put him with some club fighters, like you got to do with a lot of the British guys because they're terrible, he can be around for a little bit on an undercard. I really thought these things. I, I don't, not one of those things do I think now. The skills truly showed potential of a future world champion. I saw nothing within that match. Didn't make me think he could do it. And I will also contend for you, I don't think that he was at his best. Now, I don't like when guys do that. And they, they usually do it when they lose. When they lose, they weren't at their best. There's all of these reasons. Patty looked phenomenal. Not just good. That's a strong word. You guys ever even heard me use that word, phenomenal? He looked phenomenal. And if I knew a stronger word, I would use it instead. It was that good. I don't maintain that he was at his best. I think this weight cutting stuff's a real issue. Pulling that out of your body and putting it back in. And again, generally you hear this when a guy gets beat. He, his team, his coaches, someone looking out for him will put in an insert that, that the cut just drained him too much. Now, there's not a truth to that because you're given 24 hours, which turns closer to about 32 hours by the time that you weigh in and you go out and compete. In a wrestling match, just for perspective, you have one hour. You will weigh in and one hour later you are on the mat. Now, wrestling does that as a deterrent to lose weight. But I'm just sharing for you, 24 hours, no matter how bad you were hurt, no matter how bad you were sucked, you get trapped in the desert and somebody has to find you and rush you to an emergency room. 24 hours later, you're going to be fine. Just, that's just the truth. Now, it still takes a toll in this regard. If you're going into the practice room, if you're going into your, your cardio workouts with the goal of getting weight off, of burning calories, of increasing your sweat, 
as opposed to getting better. It takes away. So I only bring you, I don't believe. This young man that I saw that has the potential to be the champion of the world, period. I also don't think was at his best. I think there's another way to do things. I think there's a better way to do things. I think he could come in even stronger. And then you have the emotional side. Guys, if you are dealing with something emotional, you'll hear people talk about this. And they'll talk about their spiritual side. Physically and mentally and spiritually. Some guys will slip in the spiritual. And you always think they're trying to pay some some homage to the G.O.D., trying to talk, trying to talk the Almighty into letting them whip another man's ass. It's it's it is such blasphemy and it is so offensive. However, when they do talk about the spiritual side, they're just talking about how they feel inside. Man, I'm not dealing with stresses. I'm focused on this moment. Things are going pretty well for me. Family's good. Wife's happy. I mean, it's, it's one of these things, and it is very relevant because if you don't have that, it will drain you, and you're not going to perform at your best. Everything that I talk about that goes into a fight and everything I say that's going to hurt you so you understand what's going to be hurting, it isn't your ability, it isn't your memory of a combination, it isn't seeing range and testing shots, it isn't offense and defense, it's fatigue. Anything I ever tell you that could affect a fighter prior to the fight, anything that a fighter tells you could affect the fighter going into the fight, right? That includes an injury. Injury doesn't have anything to do with my ability out there. It had my uh, do with my ability to prepare. If I did not pair properly, I will reach fatigue. And that's all that this sport is. The first round, and really it's about the first two minutes of the first round, but the first round you will see from an athletic standpoint who's better. Who's got greater DNA? Who's got faster twitch? You will. Whose eyes are better? Who's After that, you're in the tough guy business, and all you're trying to do is take his will away. And the announcers could tell you that we're blue in the face and I'm one of, oh, I'm chopping the leg down because that's going to play dividends down the road. I'm going to wear his leg up. Man, none of that stuff happens. None of, zero. I'm trying to take his will. Is his will stronger than mine? Can I hold up or can he? So whenever I talk to you about something that could harm a fighter going into a contest, I'm just talking about fatigue. We talk about pressure a lot over here. There are all the sports guys on all the channels talking about who's got the pressure, but they never finish the thought. Now, they don't finish the thought because they think that you know. They finish the thought because they don't know what the hell they're saying. They heard some other sports guy say it. So they just brought the word pressure over, and it seems to work. Pressure creates a stress. Stress has a chemical reaction from your brain that releases through your body that creates fatigue. So as good as Patty looked in his ability to push the pace and outscramble his opponent, out hustle and outwork his opponent, I maintain he was dealing with stresses and pressers mentally and physically, mental stress, physical stress, that caused a fatigue and he was still able to be the one going harder. I submit for you that performance was as close to perfect as I have seen in a period of time, particularly at that weight class. And I submit for you, he was not at his best. When he gave that post-fight interview and we found out Right, a moment ago, I'm going back to talking about spiritual. I was talking about emotion, how you're feeling going to it. And we find out that he was dealing with a death, the loss of a loved one. We didn't know that till after the fight. He did all of his media. He did all of his social media. He filled up a house. He trained. He made weight. He kept his mouth shut. He stayed professional until it was time to break and to be a real human being. And he did it right in front of all of us. So my days of giving Patty a hard time, I'm just sharing with you why, why, why they're behind me. I don't like this fat shame business. I don't think that's an interesting story. I don't think it's interesting what you weigh. 
You've never asked me what I, we don't talk about people's weight. And for some reason it's interesting with Patty and then to the point that we're even judging him and giving him a hard time. I don't understand it. I think it's, it's a nerdy thing to do for a guy who's pretty cool. Patty calling out Connor. And I, it, that might be a little stronger than what he did here. I'll give you the quote again. Patty Pimlet versus Connor McGregor will be the biggest pay-per-view UFC history. That's not quite a call out as much as it was just a thought and a statement, but it's close. He got real close to calling out Connor. Connor goes into the category of people that Patty looks up to, that Patty aspires to be like. Guys that this young man put in an untouchable category. Nope, he did it anyway. It's a big deal. One thing that Patty has not done yet, he hasn't needed to. Those arenas are packed. But one thing that he hasn't done is called somebody out. He has not issued a challenge. He has not ever told us who he wants to fight. To the extent that we have yet to see a Patty Pimlet fight opposite an opponent that we wanted ahead of time. I'm talking about prior to the bout agreement, prior to the announcement, prior to this being done. Patty has yet to be in there with somebody that there was a story or an interest prior to. And the fact that he is now basically, basically, I got to go light on it. It wasn't quite a call out. I'm not trying to start something between Patty and Connor. That fight isn't going to happen. That fight isn't going to work quite the way they see. If I'm a promoter, I can fill up a house with Connor. I can fill it up with Patty. There's no point in putting them together. It's, that's not the fight that people are clamoring for. But would we have fun before the fight? Yeah, sure we would. Do you have the opportunity for the oldest story in the book of, uh, of the passing of the guard? Yeah, sure you would. But none of that is the, uh, the principal motto that I came away with here. We've now seen Patty for the first time showing that he doesn't look up. He doesn't hold people in a different class. And if you want to be the king, you got to take out the king. And I don't mean that Patty's got to take Conor McGregor. You can't come in and start talking about these other guys as though you look up to all of them. Nobody's off limits. No one's off limits. If you want to have stardom, if you want to have Chemayev-esque media attention, anyone, anywhere, anytime, that message has got to be out there. And this is as close as Patty's ever done to showing us that side, to showing us that he does have that ingredient, to showing us he's not standing down and he's not backing down from anybody. I realize it wasn't quite a call out, but I wanted you guys to miss what happened here. Patty's showing us a new side and there's several gears, Jeff, that Patty hasn't hit. I thought he hasn't hit him because he doesn't know him yet. He doesn't quite understand the business. Another good argument for why he hasn't hit shifted into those gears yet is he doesn't need to. That arena's got only so many seats. And to be better and doing a better job than everybody else doesn't mean you have to do the absolute best job that you know how. You study them, you stay in front of them. You keep a couple in your back pocket. Ace up your sleeve, as you will. And I think Patty's sitting on a couple of aces. And I like the fact, whether it was a call out or not, I like the fact that Patty has shown us he's willing to stand opposite anyone. What's Conor McGregor going to do? We talk about that all the time over here. I usually throw in an answer. Oh, Conor's coming back. It's going to be some massive big star in the whole sport. But it's not completely the situation that we're in. I don't believe Conor's going to see 155 pounds again. I don't believe that Conor's going to walk into a world title fight. If he does, all these problems are solved. And you don't even need to watch this piece. If he's going to come in and take on the winner of Oliveira versus Islam, we have nothing to discuss here. We're all good. 
If he's going to come in and take on Leon Edwards for the belt, we're all good. We get up and go home. But I don't believe that that's going to happen. I don't even believe that's a possibility of happening the way I used to. I used to be very bullish. Yes, that is absolutely a possibility. Then Dana finally got asked about it. Dana said, yes, it's absolutely a possibility. Connor's fought anyone, anywhere, anytime. Yes, if he wants to come in, even if it's for a world title, I would listen. He didn't say I would give it to me. So of course I would listen. Okay. So I thought that's probably what Connor's going to do. He's going to come back. It's going to be something really big. But now he's doing the roadhouse business. He's very clearly not a 155-pounder. Not right now. What kind of discipline and dedication, right? If Connor says he'll do it, he will make the weight class. He never missed 145. Remember what he looked like? He still nutted up and made 145. But as of right now, I think we're pretty safe to say he's going to be 170 pounds. If he's to fight at 170 or he's to fight at 155, even though Connor's the biggest draw, and even though regardless of who he's fought in years past, he could sell out arenas and bring in a lot of tension. Things do change as time goes by. And I'm not sold on the idea. Don't forget, every single Connor fight you had, regardless of the opponent, something meaningful was on the line. Connor was going to fight for a world championship. Connor was going to defend a world championship. Connor's going to be a number one contendership to go fight for a world championship. I, there was always something big on the line. And right now, I'm not feeling that. It's just a feel, but I don't have it. Connor's doing something with Roadhouse. Sometimes that works, not very often. The only person I've ever seen it work for was Rampage Jackson. He went and did B.A. Baracus in 18. The movie blew up. It was incredible. Rampage came back. He was bigger than ever. So I certainly don't begrudge Connor. But if you think, if any of you think, will go on TV and make your brand even bigger and then come back and you're worth more. Like if you think that every actor that you've ever seen get a cameo at the UFC wants to be in the octagon. Not one of those guys just showed up to watch. They all want to be in there. And they're all famous. But I'm sure it doesn't work that way. Like, if you thought Brock Lesnar and CM Punk, and they got some favor because of who they... You don't know how many famous people would love to be in the octagon. Everybody wants to fight. Nobody's ever come to that doesn't want in there. Now, they're going to want a favorable opponent. They're going to look good. They're going to want to go over. They aren't going to want to do the hard work. They still want in there. Joe Rogan himself, who's bigger than anybody... That, Joe Rogan's the biggest guy in America right now. He wanted to fight. Do you guys remember that? Joe Rogan came to you, the audience... It was like they were closing up a show and Joe was there in the black shirt and he put his plea out to the audience. This is before social media, right? Joe would get that fight if he did it today. He was trying to fight Wesley Snipes. But Joe came to you and said, hey guys, talk to Wesley, get him in there, encourage him, whatever it was. <clears throat> Excuse me, but he made his pitch to you. Now, in the world of Twitter, that would have worked. This was 2005. Twitter came out in 2009. The world of Facebook was a big, if Instagram was even, that would have worked. We could have gone to Wesley. We could have blown it up. Wesley would have been in a pinch. He'd have gone there, and he probably he would have fought Joe Rogan. Which, by the way, in 2005, I mean, that would have been a really interesting match. I don't even know that it would draw and sell the way that it would today, the way you guys would I'm just sharing. That would have been an interesting match. Like, that would have been a massive amount of fun. But I only bring Joe into this just to further to prove the initial point that I was making, that they all want in there, but it doesn't work that way. So now he's over and he's doing the Roadhouse bit. Okay, great. He gets some notoriety. His brand grows up even more. He comes in. Who's he going to fight? And I don't think that that has ever mattered, but I do think it matters now. Connor is still the biggest star. Red Panty Knight still holds up. But Connor has been competing for his own records for a meaningful amount of time. I used to have the records. That's why I know this. I had the live grade, the attendance, and the pay-per-view record. I had them all. I retired. Connor came in. I have none of them now. Do you want to know who's got one, two, three, four, and five? Do you want to know? McGregor, 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 and McGregor. He's, he's 
competing to beat himself. And he's never outdone himself in a live gate like he did in New York City against Eddie Alvarez for 17.2. But he's beating himself in some other things, and I don't know that he can come in and beat his own records at this point. He can beat everybody else we've got signed. I don't know that he can beat himself because I think he needs an opponent now. And I don't think that's ever been true. If Connor comes back on a one-off, right, and if Connor fights again, it definitely could be his last fight. In no scenario does he fight three more times, right? I mean, I'm just sharing. You never know when his last match is going to be, and it could be the next one. But whoever that's going to be against, unless we put him in there with the winner of Islam Charles, which I don't think we're going to do, I don't think that that's still viable and being discussed. And if we're not going to do that, then who do you put him in there with? Nate Diaz is gone. That story works all day. Trilogy fight, true trilogy, where they split the first two, works all day long. Put him in there with Dustin Poirier. Sure, we've seen it three other times, but it did great three times. They've got a legitimate grudge. they got that legitimate beat. Now, we're in here for something. We know what it's about. But one year ago, just just I'll just grab Michael Chandler just for fun. First name that popped in my head. But if I put McGregor versus Chandler, this is going to be massive. And he probably would beat his own records. If I put that together now, it's going to be big. It's not going to be massive. It's not the same thing. Because now we don't know why they're fighting. If you're fighting just to fight, it's tough. And don't forget what Reed Harris told me about Dana White. He's the master of putting on meaningful fights. They have a significance. They are about something. The winner will go somewhere. You wonder why Dana comes out and he talks about, hey, if this guy loses, it's going to be his last fight. You want to know why he does that? Because, But now you have a significance, even if it's the other way. The same as if a guy wins, he's a number one contender. The same as that, if a guy loses and he's done, there's a significance. This now matters. There's something on this. And Dana is the king of doing that. But up until now with McGregor, that's been a real natural thing. Even if you think he's drawn and selling with anybody. McGregor and Dennis Seaver, they can sell at an arena. McGregor versus Poirier, the first time they fought with Poirier's 24-year-old kid from Louisiana that had a short haircut, right? I mean, he wasn't the Dustin Poirier the star, but it worked. They were all significant. He was undefeated. He was a loudmouth. He was a big talker. He's headed for Jose all the right? They were. They all had a meaning. Even if it was serendipitous on an accident, I'm only sharing with you, they don't have it right now. Now, I don't know that this is true, by the way, because I feel that I would have heard it. But it's being reported by Jesse that Conor McGregor is out of the USADA testing pool. And that's a whole nother can of worms. If he is, in fact, out to return is a pain in the ass. It can be done, but you're watching Henry Cejudo go through it right now. It's a thing. Just to get out of it, it's a thing. To announce, to make your retirement, I mean, it's a thing. Then to get back in, it's a whole, it's another thing that you must do. And now you get in and now you have four months if you have no suspensions in the past and Connor does not. But that's been debated and argued whether it's six months. It's been debated and argued whether it's two months. I'm going four right down the middle. That's what it used to be. And I'm only sharing for, it's a thing. And why is he out? Why is he out of the USADA testing pool? Why is a guy who's clearly gotten bigger, is accused all over the internet, which runs our uh, industry, of being on steroids? He's flexing and beefing out in picture. Why would he get out of the pool? Now, I'll share for you right now, and my eye test is never wrong. 100%. Conor McGregor's not on steroids. 
Conor McGregor's bloated. He's full of water. He's, he's highly unlikely bench pressing more now than he used to or doing more pull-ups. This isn't muscle that you're, but he's bloated. He's not training as much. He's not getting that sweat out. It's calories in versus calories out. But there's nothing nefarious here with Connor. I'm just asking the question. If this information is true, if what Jesse is reporting is true, and Connor is out of the USADA pool, now you don't know when you're going to get him back. He says to go through a process to re-enter, and then his clock starts, and then he's got to exhaust four months. I'm just sharing this with you guys. I don't have an overly big point. But the idea that Connor could come back, boom, just like that against Donald Cerrone, they're going to sell out an arena on a show that didn't even exist. They put it all together in a month and sold it out in 48 hours. I mean, we can't do that now. That's not even on the table. Connor McGregor coming in last minute fight. Connor McGregor coming in on short notice. Anything like this that is just naturally big, boom, there you've got your meaning. Boom, there you've got your significance. That can't happen. Now, once you have those talks, you make that decision. That leg's cured. You're coming back. You go through the rigmarole to re-enroll. Your clock starts. I mean, it's just, you got four months. It's not the world's biggest deal. Guys have done it many times. Why would Connor take himself out of the pool if he is, in fact, clean? Guys, he's clean when I tell you that. He is clean. And I'll answer the question for you as well. He's busy, and keeping up with the whereabouts is a struggle. And he doesn't know where he's going to be. And if he misrepresents where he's going to be, it's an automatic fail. He's safer to just take himself out. He's easier to come back in and wait those four months. But the fact that he did remove himself, if that information's true, if that's accurate, is surprising that we didn't hear about it. It's surprising that we weren't told. But it's also right in line where Connor did kind of quit calling those guys out. He did quit coming in on the back of every pay-per-view and stealing the thunder. There is a chance, if you look at the evidence you have, that McGregor has given a good look at this and has decided, I'm going to go do something else. All right, guys, I got to tell you, this pisses me off. I go to the underground forum. I disclose that to you guys. That used to run our industry, but I'll go there and I'll, I'll see those threads. And I mainly just follow what the top ones are because then I can have my thumb with you guys. Then I know right where you guys are at and what, what you're thinking. It's a very helpful resource, but there's been a thread that just won't go away. It pertains to Dustin Poirier as that ties into his fight with Michael Chandler. Now, the theme of the thread, you won't get this from the headline. You're going to have to do a lot of reading like I did, but the general theme, and there's a real consensus on this, is that Poirier's eye is off of Chandler. Poirier never wanted to fight Chandler. What is the evidence of that? The evidence of that is the fact that Poirier tried to fight a week ago against Nate Diaz on no notice. That's the entire evidence. He took a scale, he took a picture of a scale of what he weighed, which off the top of my head was 176.6 pounds. He tried to catch a plane and go fight Nate Diaz, and people are saying that he was doing that to avoid the fight with Chandler. I don't see the tie-in. I don't know how fighting Nate a week ago even pertains to a fight in November at Madison Square Garden. I just don't see that. And I'm open to it. But I do think that it's a misunderstanding. Guys, i got to shove this back on you. I don't think this is on Poirier. I think this is on you. I think you're misunderstanding. Poirier would do them both. Poirier would have caught that jet out to T-Mobile and would have had some business with Nate Diaz. It would not have precluded him. Like, he would not have said as part of, okay, I'm not going to show up and fight Chandler. Okay, the Chandler thing's off. We're doing this instead. Like, that would never leave Dustin Poirier's mouth. Dustin was trying to get another match. And I could personalize this. I had this happen to me. You know, a lot of people's dream is to fight at home. I share that as well. 
Even as I go to bed at night, I still have my fantasies, right? I'm still 17 in my head. You guys can relate to that. But when I do that, I still do have that fantasy of fighting at home. And the UFC was coming out. I was under contract. Boom, I got a fight that night. Pay-per-view, I'm on the main card. And I end up doing a favor. So I've got a signed contract. I'm training. I'm preparing for that. It's a couple of months out, a few months out. I do a favor. And I take a fight on short notice. And it was 21 days away, 20 days till the way, and I had 36.2 pounds to lose. I've told you that uh, tale many times. The hardest physical thing I've ever done in my life was losing that 36.2 pounds in 20 days. But I'm still doing a favor. And Joe Silva said something beautiful to me. He said, you know, Chael, a guy like you is worth his weight in gold. And I was hurt, and it was on weigh-in day. I was laying down, I was looking up at him, and I didn't know what it meant. But I knew it was nice. I knew I wanted him to finish the thought. I like to have my strong points pointed out like anybody. And he said, nobody will take fights on short notice. To have someone like you that we can count on, that will do it, that shows up, that makes weight, really appreciate it. Just nicest thing Joe Silva's ever said to me. And I got a great relationship with Joe. That was the nicest thing he's ever said to me. Okay. He cancels my fight in Portland. I didn't know that. I didn't know stepping in and doing a favor was going to make this fight go bye-bye. I just didn't understand that. And Joe's like, well, I th- of course you would understand. I-, I owe you a fight. I'm giving you a fight. I'm giving you this fight. So it takes away from that fight. I didn't understand that. Now, I still would have done it. I still would have done them the favor. But then I didn't get a fight at home. I didn't get to participate on that card. But this was a real pay thing for me at that time. I mean, it really mattered. My lights being on, my lights being off, directly involved in getting in that octagon and then having success before I left it. That was just the truth. So I thought I was going to get both. I thought I was double dipping. And I'm just sharing with you. I guarantee Dustin Poirier never thought if I go and fight Nate Diaz, if I fly out there tonight, if I do the favor, if I get these 6.6 pounds off, that I then don't fight Chandler. As a matter of fact, I think you're misremembering the story. Dustin Poirier is the one that called for this fight. And as this fight gets closer, yeah, we got some time on the clock here. We're going to revisit this story as we... But we're still going to tell it the way that it happened. Don't forget, Dustin Poirier is the one that was mad at Chandler. Chandler didn't call for this fight. As a matter of fact, that's what pissed Poirier off. I think you're forgetting that part of the story. Michael Chandler finishes up business against Tony Ferguson. He grabs the microphone. He just burns the house down. It was just, it was one of the great spots in history for post-fight interviews. But in the process of doing that, he spread it around. He called out three or four different guys. He called out Oliveira. He wanted a rematch with Gagey. He called out Conor McGregor. He called out a bunch of guys he did not call out. Poirier. Poirier was mad that he wasn't called out. I've never seen Dustin Poirier mad. I have known Dustin personally since 2011. I'd never seen him mad except at Chandler for not challenging him. Now, I've seen guys get pissed. I've had heat with guys because I called them or I said something about a microphone. I've never had somebody upset with me or want to fight me because I failed to challenge them, mention them, or give them a smack in the media. It's the first time I've ever... I mean, think about it from this perspective, right? I just... I don't want the story to change. I don't want this Diaz and this... I don't want any part of that. I want this off the underground. I want that thread taken down. I don't agree with it. It's not true. And you're going to miss the good story here. We still don't know why that upset Poirier. 
we probably won't know until fight week when we get to the scrums in the press conference where somebody can finally ask him, why are you mad that he didn't challenge you? It's the best part of the story. Don't change this story. Don't do that. Don't do it to me because I'm looking forward to this fight. But I'm also looking forward to hearing what Poirier's answer to that question is going to be. One of the biggest UFC stories this week came after Tuesday night's Contender Series when Dana White offered a contract to a 17-year-old who is now officially the youngest UFC signee ever. Let's break it down. Raul Rosas Jr., welcome to the UFC. Now, I'm going to have to get this guy's name down. I did a whole piece on him last week, never said his name once. Now, I'll tell you, it wasn't because I didn't know his name. It was a situation of, I'm dealing with a minor and I don't know how to behave. I'm going to come to the internet where bullying and terrible things take place and I'm going to discuss a minor. I thought out of respect, I just left it. I didn't know the rule on it, quite frankly. I got pretty good training. ESPN gives us very good training. I majored in sociology in college. Like, I don't step on landmass. I didn't know the rule on that. Can you come over here and talk about a minor? It was one of these things. Now, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening. He won on Dana White Contender Series. Dana White came out and said beautiful things about it. said, I was blown away. said, this is a spare, uh, rare talent. Compared him to Mickey Ward. And then Dana spoke from his perspective saying, even if a guy is young, this is K-17, even if this guy is young, if you're in my spot and you come out and you find a talent, you lock him up. And you don't punish someone because of their talent. If they get good enough, but they're not of the eight. You don't punish them for it. You look at it, you recognize it, you work within it. Now, when you come to the UFC, you can't carry a guy. How? Well, you guys go ahead and tell me. How are you going to carry him? Go look at the weight class. Look at the lamp. Have everybody who signed. Go find the absolute worst guy. Do you think that guy's going to be an easy fight? No, you do not. No, you don't. Now, you also don't have a need to carry him. We're not looking to do something huge. We're not looking to hand somebody a favor. Oh, look at this little guy in the corner and give him a nugget. Man, you're in the UFC. Pro fighter, aren't you? He says he is, and now he proved that he's good enough. But look at the demographic shift here, guys. This is very obvious. I should not have to state it. I just will. But if it sounds condescending, forgive me in advance. If you're trying to go to England, if you're trying to break into that market, go and book guys on the card that are from England. If you're going to St. Paul, Minnesota, and you got a guy from St. Paul, Minnesota, and you can put him on the card, go ahead and do that. Very obvious. But the UFC has never embraced or been a place for the older fighters to go. Dana spoke about this. One of Dan Dana's one of his best friends is Chuck Liddell. Dana said, I'm not giving him any more fights. He's too old. It's over. So we know that, and we know if you can really prove it, Glover Teixeira about to fight for a world championship, just by example. Randy Couture went to 47 years old. They used his age and celebrated. If you can prove it and you can stick around, okay, fine. But we're not out signing guys like this. And if your contract starts to expire and you're winning some and you're losing some and you haven't proved you're a contender, when it expires, so does your time here. That's very consistent. And now you're looking at a demographic of a younger age. I wonder what Dana sees. Right? I wonder what Dana sees. 
He's telling us that he sees a talent and he's going to lock the talent up. Okay, great. That's true. But it's not the entire pie. It's a piece of it. He's also seen an opportunity to get into younger folks. Look, I do amateur shows and we sell out all the time. Done 123 shows, sold out 117 of them. We put a high school kid on the card. The high school kid had turned 18, right? He was a senior, but he was still in high school. I will tell you what, we never sold out so fast. Jake Morris is his name. We had never packed a building that fast. And it wasn't just because the kids were coming. That's not what I'm talking about. We, we exposed to a whole new demographic. It's a whole new market. Kids didn't necessarily feel welcome. It wasn't what they were doing. If you go look at the WWE, go, go look at uh, John Cena, by example. John Cena's fan base are junior high kids, which is great, but then he has to pretend that he's young. He's got to come out and wear shirts with writing on them. He's got to have a wristband. He's got to do these things. That's great. He knew where his audience was. He knew where the market was. There wasn't fellow junior high kids in the WWE ring. But you had a guy that was acting the way that they behave. It's very basic. It's very simple. But we haven't seen Dana go in this direction. I'm just curious why. Look, everything that's happened at the UFC in the year 2022, it's never happened before. The way that we're booking cards in the UFC is unlike any other year. I'm fascinated by that. I try to study that. I try to learn. I like that side of it. And seeing the fact very consistently that we're not going to the upper end, that we're coming over to the younger end. And this used to be a thing. Dana got away from this. This was a thing. 21 was about not only the youngest you were going to get signed, it was about the oldest you were going to get signed. That lasted. It, it didn't stick around for long, but that did last. I remember. I remember when uh, Nick Diaz came in, by example. I remember when Robbie Lawler came in. It was right during this time. If we really need these younger guys, now some of the older veterans, Randy Couture helped with this just by example, some of the older guys started grabbing the belt, started grabbing the championships, and kind of kind of showed everybody, hey, wait just a minute. In this sport, for whatever reason, but 33, that's kind of the sweet spot. 36 is kind of the beginning of the end, but that that's still a decade and a half later that at one point was projected, was tested, and shown to be wrong. So this is very consistent. It just hasn't been this obvious. I just pointed out. I love to observe these things. We get a little back and forth, guys. And I'm, I'm usually the one that gets to it first. That's why you guys come to me. But sometimes there's something very obvious right in front of my face. Right in front of me. I don't have it. I bring it to you guys. Boom, problem gets solved. So we're looking for a new demographic. We're giving an opportunity to somebody else. And this is so good for the industry. This is so incredibly good. Look, the industry... You back it all the way down, it starts with gyms. If there's no gyms, we don't have MMA. That's where it all starts. And you got to covet those gyms. You've got to treat them with respect. you got to be as nice to them as you can. They take big risks. They work really hard. They close all the time. Because think about what you're doing. You're bringing people in, which is largely adults. Now, those adults have children. They're going to sign their children up. It's very tough in MMA. How do you convince a parent to drop their kid off to be punched and kicked? Start with that. How do you convince them to pay for that? Okay, great. When you get past that, how do you convince a parent to drop a kid off 
to be punched and kicked while telling him your kid won't be able to compete. You're 10 years before you'll ever see him compete. Look, I'd rather go to baseball and watch Junior on Saturday. A lot of it's about me. I've wanted to do this. I've wanted to watch and be involved. It's tough. It happens, and we have an industry, but it's been tough, and Dana just helped to change that. Now there is hope. Now there is opportunity, and we're seeing that. I'm interested. Where does he go from here? Who's going to face him? How are we going to build that up? Right? It's different. It's very different. Think about a guy throwing down and grounding, and dropping elbows on a minor. It's one of those things. It gets tough, but what we've now proved, there was a test last night called the Contender Series. We've proven that this can work, and we've proven that people deserve an opportunity. Their age should not begrudge them from showing their skills. And it opens to a whole new demographic, guys. 2022 in the UFC. Yet again, we're seeing something we've never seen before. To close out today's program, I received a question this week from a friend of the show, Glenn Bell. Here is Glenn's question, and I'll answer it on the back end. Hey, Chael, Glenn Bell. First of all, congratulations on over 1 million subscribers. Now to my questions. I have a question about a fight that took place in 1996. It was UFC 11.5, The Ultimate Ultimate. There was a fight between Cal Worsham and a street fighter that the adults call Tank Abbott. In this fight, Tank had Cal up close to being out of the octagon. I mean, it was close. He had him up real high, almost throwing him out of the octagon. First question, have you ever seen anybody come closer to throwing somebody out of the octagon than Tank Abbott did that night? And don't get me wrong, Chill. The last thing I wanted to see was a grown man get thrown out of the octagon to be hurt. And don't get me wrong, Chael, the first thing I wanted to see was a grown man getting thrown out of the octagon, but not to get hurt, but that was an exciting moment. So have you ever seen anyone else get closer than that? I'm assuming nobody actually got thrown out because I probably would have heard about it, but has anyone ever been closer to being thrown out as Cal was? Second question, what would have happened if he was thrown out? What would the rule have been? Would he have just dust himself back off if possible, hop back into the octagon and continue fighting? By example, did the ref come in the locker room and say, listen guys, if you throw somebody out of the octagon, you immediately lose fights over. Or did he say, listen guys, if you throw an unwilling participant over that cage wall and into the seats, good job, you win. Glenn Bell, what's happening buddy? Nice to hear from you. I remember that night. I remember that fight. I know where I was. I was in Utah training. Tank Abbott actually prepared with us in the wrestling room. Mark Schultz was the head coach. Pedro Sauer was up the road. I mean, it was one, one of these things, but that's what Par Herrera and Tank Abbott did their training at. So I was, I was very invested in this fight. Very invested in the ultimate, ultimate. What a great concept. And don't forget who Cal Worsham was. Cal Worsham is a UFC champion to this day. And what used to happen, Glenn, is it was an eight-man tournament. As a matter of fact, UFC 2 was a 16-man tournament. All done in one night. Hoist Gracie, who won that, had to beat four men in one night. But generally, it was an eight-man tournament for the period of time and for those years where they did it. Well, Cal Worsham was an alternate fighter. He was in the back. So they played the tournament out. They're to the finals. 
which means two guys have fought two times. It means they're pretty worn down. They're a little beat up. They're a little tired. It's a lot to ask of anybody. The guy who was supposed to go against uh, into the finals can't make the walk, and I think that was Hoist. I think it was actually Hoist Gracie, and he had so much taken out of him in a fight that he didn't go on to the finals. That's how I remember it. That part isn't relevant. What's relevant is they bring Cal Worsham in. Well, now Cal is, Cal is fighting for the world championship. Well, the UFC championship. wasn't called a world title, but it's called the UFC championship. He's fighting for that in his first fight of the night. He's completely fresh. His opponent is not, and I think the opponent was, was Har uh, Howard Harris at the time. Now, that's not the part that I'm trying to be the great student on and the great historian. I'm just the historian part. I think I've got that right. I think Hoyce pulled out. I think Howard Harris went to the finals. But when Cal came in, it was the championship match, and he was fresh. Now, that was a mistake. After that night, they had alternates fight. You would hold the tournament, then you'd hold an alternate fight. Those guys are all done unless they're to be inserted. It was as good as you could do. So as good as anybody could think of. And you have to you have to understand, Cal, very relevant. We fiercely adhere to the rules that we made up on the spot. It had to be that way. It was advertised to the world as, as no rules, no judges, no time limits. They meant to do that. Now, in the back, they told the boys, don't touch their eye and don't bite them. Anything else goes. Groin shot's completely legal. We saw a fight finished with that. Joe Son, right? Versus Keith Hackney. Grabbing the hair, Hoist Gracie wrapped up Chemo's ponytail. Wrapped that ponytail and pulled it back and started hitting him. It's all legal. It was advertised as no rules, but you don't bite the guy and you don't touch his eyes. All right, great. It also was no time limit. That was true. When those fights started, when that card began, there was no time limit. Big John McCarthy was the referee. Now, when you're doing a pay-per-view, there's something called a window. Okay, TV talk, but you have a buy, you're open for a window, 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. You usually never hit 10 p.m., but if you do, you will go dark, which means you're off the air. So you got to get your show done. Ken Shamrock goes out to fight Hoist Gracie. They get 20 minutes in and nothing's happening. I mean, there, there is nothing happening. Like if we redo that 20 minutes, okay, we have 40 minutes of nothing happening. I'm only sharing when I say nothing's happened. No one was looking to strike. No one was looking to ground and pound. No one was looking to posture. Nobody was going for submissions. So there was no way to finish the fight. That fight is not going to end. Not at the rate that we're going. Oh, by the way, we're on television. Oh, by the way, we're going to go dark. So Big John, while calling the match, is trying to get instructions from the director. Everybody's right. That's what you had to do. So the promoter yells to Big John, we're going 30 minutes. So John's like, well, how long are we? It's 18 minutes. They got another 12. So John's trying to relay this information to the boys. And I want to say somewhere along the way that that changed. They were going to go 25 minutes, then they added another five. But nobody complained. I might have even just added that part, but nobody complained. That's the way it was back then. First fight I ever lost was seven minutes and 41 seconds into the fight that was scheduled for seven minutes. I didn't complain. I'm not complaining now. That is literally the way it was done back then. We're just figuring out things as we go. The promoter of my fight that he liked even said that, no, the fight was so good, I let it keep going. Now, I came from wrestling. I came from organized events. I would have never stood for that for wrestling. I don't know why I was okay with it in this situation, but this is what happened. So you cannot leave the ring. That's a boxing rule. 
but we take all of our cues from boxing. We still do uh, to this day in large part. You cannot leave the ring. If a fighter's in there fighting and he crawl, he he leaves the ring, he's instantly disqualified. A corner man cannot be in the ring, by example, when a round starts. And there was somebody, it was a very meaningful fight, I want to say it was even Mike Tyson, where a corner man stayed in the ring. Now, he stayed in the ring because he wanted the fight stopped, he didn't want to throw in the towel. He wanted his fighter out of there. But the bell rang, the fight stopped, they stopped it, disqualified that guy, gave it to the other guy. The guy that was still in the ring, the corner man was like, oh my gosh, I didn't get out in time, I'm an old man. He meant to do it, but that's okay, that's within the rules. Now, the reason I bring that to you is there was no such rule for the UFC that if you if you leave the surface, no such rule. But I imagine there was one. If Cal Worsham had willingly escaped the cage and crawled over and dropped down, I would imagine that Big John would have quickly disqualified him. And we would have definitely had a precedence to do that known as boxing. I'm guessing right now. But I remember that moment, and I remember when Tank was trying to throw him out of the ring. And I remember thinking, he's going to win. If he throws him out, he'll win. And then you saw the way that Cal started to, to scramble. Like if Cal was a willful participant at all, oop, he'd, have, he'd have been out of that ring. Be like, I guess we're done. I don't know that John would have brought him back in and said, no, we're not. I don't know. But I remember that time. Now, don't forget, I'm 18 years old. Sports brand new. Like you said, it was number 11. You only get a few fights a night, right? I've seen less than 50 of these things in my whole life. And I know that we're still learning the rule. We had no round system back then. You didn't have to wear gloves. There was no wrapping of the hands. There was no commissions. I mean, when I tell you that we just didn't have the rules, we just didn't have them. You don't know anything until you know it. And Glenn, you'll remember when they finally put a whole bunch of rules in. We'd already had how many fights, right? Now, we, now we've had well over 100 fights. When they finally put rules in, they put rules in that nobody had ever done anyway. It, it just it never happened where somebody grabbed, it's called a small joint manipulation, grab one finger and break it. You have to grab four fingers, but nobody had ever grabbed one finger. Nobody had ever grabbed two fingers. So they just said you got to grab four fingers. I mean, just by example, they put a whole bunch of rules in that nobody was doing anyway. It kept the, the sport the exact same, but now you can present it different. They say, we aren't no rules. We have pages and pages of rules. It's good stuff. I'm not complaining about it. I'm sharing with you that we didn't know. Big John was in a different spot one time. Because, see, Big John would have been the one that had to call it. Don't forget the night that Carlos Newton and Matt Hughes both go down. John made that call on the spot. But I don't know that I believe that John had any training in that. I don't believe that John had ever seen that before. I don't believe that John was instructed by a commission. Now, he may have been. I'm sharing with you. I don't think that he was. I don't think it had ever happened. So they both went down, John John made his ruling, and off we go. There was things like that that John had to do. The Hoist and Ken fight. Hey, we're going to go to a draw. We're going to have a, a TV time limit of 30 minutes. That was never advertised. In fact, we were directly promised you that was not the case. It is now. Go. All right. You got to be able to do those things. There was a night. Vitor Belfort versus Randy, uh, Randy Couture, part one. Randy is in the octagon. Vitor's not making his walk. They've played his music. They've called. They've given him his cues. John leaves the octagon and goes back to get Vitor. Vitor's like, okay, I'm coming. John goes back to the octagon. Vitor doesn't come. John finally does. He goes back and gets him again. At this point, Randy had been in the ring almost 20 minutes. And don't forget, we're live. So now you got a production issue, too. You're trying to explain the story. You're trying to tell. You don't know what's going to happen. John went in the back and said, you have two minutes to be in the ring or I'm disqualifying you. And John would have had the authority to do that. 
John was the authoritative body. The same as he remains today, except today it can be questioned. There's group thought. There was no dis- uh, There was no group thought back then. We had one guy that understood the rules and was good enough to enforce them and have the respect of the athletes, the promoter, and the media. And it was Big John McCarthy. So I'm telling, he could have disqualified Vitor. That would have held. That would be on the uh, the books today. So you're asking me, what would have happened if Tank would have thrown in Cal out of the ring? I know at the time I watched that, at 18 years old, that I thought that the fight would be over. I just didn't know if Tank would have won because Cal has left the ring, or if we were going to defer, defer to the NWA, NWA rules, which if you'll recall, you cannot throw your opponent over the top rope. So perhaps Tank would have been disqualified. I don't know. But that's, at that time, what I thought was going to happen. At least the fight was going to come to a conclusion. I hate MMA in a ring. Boxing ring. I despise it. Now, I fought him a whole bunch of times. I couldn't possibly care less. I don't care if a guy's southpaw or orthodox. I don't know the difference. I have never, I couldn't tell you one opponent was southpaw or orthodox. Before fighting him, after fight, I, I have no idea what the difference of that is. But people tell me that there is. And people tell me there's a difference when you're at a cage versus a ring. I don't dispute those people. I just, I don't get it. I don't know what it is. Reason I hate rings. Bodog fight, I was in Russia. Dude from Canada was fighting with a American. And they went onto the top rope. Guy was really tall. He's like six foot six. So when they hit the top rope, he just he just went head over tea kettle. Well, he didn't make it all the way out of the ring, and the opponent's on top of him. So the rod, right? You think those are ropes? That's metal wire, just so you understand, wrapped in plastic. So that is now it's cutting the man in half. He's 215 pounds, but he's got another 215 pounds on top of him. And that one rod is going right through the middle of his back. And I watched his body bend. It was one of, oh my goodness, I was scared. It was a terrifying thing. And he let out a moan like I have never to this day, prior or since, and hope to never, I've never heard a human make this sound. And it was an absolute agony combined with fear. He also thought his body was about to be cut in half. And I thought that one example would ban rings forever. Hell no, they still bring out the ring to this day. That example didn't mean anything. So what, the guy almost got cut in half. I don't understand. I don't know why you would do a ring. I don't like it. I don't think MMA should be done in a ring. I'm only sharing that with you, and I only have that opinion because I watched this guy almost get cut in half. It was very, very terrifying. So you ask him, I've ever seen anybody before or since being thrown over. No, I haven't. And even that was an accident. They busted into the ring. They thought it was going to hold him up. The guy was so tall with his leverage. I mean, it's just one of those things. Just about over he went. But it would not be good. I have seen people leave a ring. That, of course, was by choice. I saw Manny Pacquiao, half of his body, leave a ring. But that was because Manuel Marquez Jr. juiced out of his mind. Knocked him out of the ring. I don't know what would have happened. But I do believe we'd have to ask Big John. But then another question is on how would John handle it to this day. It's, no, John, how would have you handled it then? 1996. I think... Whether it was a win or a disqualification, but I do think it would have stopped the fight. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. No UFC this weekend. But if you need more MMA in your life, there's a must-see Bellator event going down in Dublin later today. And remember, I'll be back with our next show on Tuesday. So enjoy your weekend. And until then, I'm Chael Sonnen. You are welcome.